Welcome to Rock Album Analysts, your semi-weekly podcast where three lifelong friends, rock musicians, and rock fans take an in-depth look at a different rock album each week. I'm your host, David Lucarelli. This is John Carson. This is Mike Gavin. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Up until now, we have taken a look at the entire catalog of several bands, starting with Kiss, Motley Crue, and Guns N' Roses. And that was sort of the mission statement of the podcast. And after we fulfilled that, now we say to ourselves, what else can we do? And what we hit upon is we each are going to choose one album that we think is a forgotten or un underappreciated classic rock album. And uh, I was up first, so I chose Hit and Run by TSOL, AKA the True Sounds of Liberty. So this album came out in 1987, roughly about 10 days before Appetite for Destruction uh, was released. And as a matter of fact, um, there was sort of some mutual fans and mutual admiration between the guys in Guns N' Roses and TSOL. Um, it was recorded in 1987 at Music Grinder Studios and Preferred Sound Studios in Hollywood. Uh, the producer was Howard Benson, who would go on to uh, produce a lot of modern rock bands and win all kinds of awards. But at the time, this was basically the first rock album he had ever produced. So he was kind of a baby producer. Um, and it was engineered by Jim Farasi, F-A-R-A-C-I. I guess that's Farasi, yeah. Um, yeah. With a bunch of assistant engineers. So um, it's interesting, TSOL was a band that had been around for a, a fairly long time. Uh, since the late 70s, and uh, they started off as kind of a punk band, but they, within that purview, they they had a lot of different, uh, you know, types of, of punk uh, music. Some of it was kind of gothic influenced and, and uh, alternative. Um, this is half of the original members, the original guitar player and bassist are on the album, but uh, a different singer and drummer uh, than, than was part of the original lineup. So this um, singer, I thought the singer was also a guitar player. Is that possible or am I wrong on that? Um, that I don't know. Um, it does give him, it does credit him actually on the Wikipedia, Joe Wood as vocals and guitar. Mm -hmm. So maybe he did play some guitar on the album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's okay. Yeah. Right, go ahead. Carry on. So, so uh, right off the bat, you guys, uh, general thoughts and impressions about this album. Uh, you, well, you were the one that got me into it. I didn't know who TSOL was and, and that's 87 is when I'm starting to hear punk rock. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't know anything about TSOL having the punk rock background. So I heard that this album and took it as like a brand new album from um, <clears throat> an up and coming glam metal band. Uh, it wasn't until I think maybe like 88 when I started to realize that TSOL had this enormous 
back catalog that was a lot different than this album. Um, so I guess my, my initial thought is, why did you choose this one? Um, when, because I, I, it's funny because I like this album, but I, I feel that their album that came before this, Revenge, was actually better. Um, hmm. At least lyrically, you know what I mean. It was a little, a little cleverer, but um, but then if you go back into their really early stuff, they seem like they're really trying to be a punk band. I mean, they have songs called like "Property Is Theft" and you know stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, they started out being very political and things right, like that. Yeah, and this is not not a political album. Right, not at all. Um, and then "Revenge" is more of a personal, you know, um, album, and then this has nothing. Uh, political about it or anything that you know what I mean um, yeah you know it's it's interesting the way that I found out about this band is I saw a video for the name is love played on MTV one time at like two o'clock in the morning on Headbangers Ball and I was like who is this band I really like this song a lot in fact I liked it so much that our original band ended up uh, covering it right. in high school mm -hmm. I remember yeah that. and and um, yeah, I mean it, it's a, it's a great song. Uh, so how did you uh, find out about about this band, Mike? Was it just this week? <laughs> no, no, no. I have seen these guys. I, I believe they were in the uh, the documentary, uh, the, the Decline of Western Civilization. The punk yeah, one. Yeah, the punk one. And I, I okay. remember thinking that they were the most interesting band that was in that documentary. They seemed to be like on the border of punk, but like the most creative and kind of had like the, the new romantic kind of thing happening at the same time. I, I thought they were the most interesting thing about that documentary. And, and yes, they, it was basically like a, a documentary about punk bands, but th these guys seemed to be doing something that was different. And yeah, yeah. And, and a lot less sort of, you know, with punk music, sometimes it kind of gets to the point where it becomes like sarcastic in a way, you know, and, and these guys seemed like they were going a different direction. And it wasn't until now that I saw where that direction was going. and you know, this is really kind of my first in-depth introduction to this band. And with this record, it, it's funny because it's such an encyclopedia of bands that were coming out around the time and afterwards, maybe before, you know, bands like Junkyard and Jet Boy and, you know, the cult were going in a certain direction. It reminds me of Adam and the Ants and Adam Ants. And there's so much that's packed into this record. It's so interesting from beginning to end. I'm fascinated with it. I can't wait. To, get, to delve more into this record. But you know, to get to answer your question again, I was introduced to this band uh, by the documentary uh, The Decline of Western Civilization. And I saw where that was going, but now when I see where they're going with this record, it was you know a complete different shift, but appropriate for what was going on at the time. There, there was so many other bands that were doing the same thing that might have been influenced by this record. And we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that when we go song by song. But uh, it, to me, it, it's, it's a great record. I can't wait to get more of it myself. So thank you. Yeah, and we and we will. I just want to say, um, I think what's so interesting about this record is that, in some ways, it's it it's not that unusual for a band to start out playing sort of one permutation of pop music, you know, mm. and then at a certain point simply say to themselves, you know, we don't want to do that anymore. We want to rock, mm. right? And and if you look at 
like early albums by the Sweet. They were like this mm. pop band that decided they wanted to be a rock band. And if you look at the Cult, they were this kind of alternative band that decided they wanted to be a rock band. And <laughs> you know, yeah. and and I, I think that this album kind of falls squarely in that category. Um, but I also think it falls in the category of all these things that I really love that I feel are underappreciated because much like music from the elder, much like George Romero's Night Riders, right? <laughs> like this is kind of a sincere heart on its sleeve album uh, that is trying to do something um, that with integrity that the original fans of the band perhaps were completely alienated by and, and didn't like or appreciate. Uh, and then like the the fans of this type of music were perhaps not open to hearing it from these guys because they mm. were known as a punk band much like you know night riders is a great movie but george romero was only known for doing horror movies particularly zombie movies and music from the elders a great album but kiss was known for rock and roll party anthems and and so you have these these artistic statements that fall into this weird category you know where they're, they're judged like if you read the encyclopedia or the wikipedia article about this album and hadn't listened to it you would think that this hardcore punk band uh decided you know screw it we're gonna sell out and we're gonna sound like poison and faster pussycat and yeah. that's really not what this album is no. I mean, it, it's not really glam metal. I mean, to me, I hear a lot of influence from the Stones mm -hmm. and bands yeah. like that. Um, but all right, without further ado, let's jump in. Uh, the first track is called It's Too Late. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I well, that's the, 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 the way that the singer sings. He has a great voice, really good growl that doesn't that is at least stays on you know um in key very aggressive but not too aggressive you know what i mean and then the chunky guitar sound that they always have um that whatever the guitar sound is i don't know mike maybe you can tell us more about that but the song it's a great opener i mean it gets you a good sense of what's going to come from the album um but and again it's you know um there was a uh, forget there was some sort of line like I was going to take notes on this I listened to this like three times but uh well at any rate there's a couple of lines in there that are fairly clever lyrically uh but it also yeah. sort of comes off as a pretty basic you know it's all over for you you know what I mean I'm I'm moving on kind of song but again, the the just the the strength of his vocals and the, and that chunky guitar sound are what really sell me on it. So good, Mike. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, from a you know a musical standpoint, the things that stood out to me for this record are um, the 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 wide vocal range that you have. You've got that low you know octave thing. You've got that you know the, the high end growl. You know, kind of like the Axl Rose thing that you can do um, on the guitar front, and it definitely it you know it sounds like. There's a lot of guitar weaving going on. There's a lot of you know crunch guitar. There's a lot of chorus guitar, and that works. Um, also, too, I love the uh, the sort of straight ahead ACDC style drum approach. 
which you know which was key uh, to a lot of bands at the time too. But it, it's again, I mentioned that you know it, when I hear this record, I think of all the bands that that I've listened to and I enjoy, and I can enjoy all those bands by listening to this record. I'll explain that. I and mean, there's bands like you know Circus of Power, Jet Boy, Kicks. You know, this song reminds me of uh, the song Girl Money in a way. Uh, there were other mm -hmm. bands like uh, that were from L.A. Uh, uh, Flies on Fire was another band. You know, Junkyard, the Cult Electric Era, Little Cedar. You know, all those bands. I can hear all those bands in this band. You know, and I'm, now I want to decipher and decide. Well, wait a minute, who was influenced by who? Because you know, this album is like what '87. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that stuff that came out later by all the bands that I mentioned kind of sound like this record in a way. So it's sort of a, a, a cornerstone of. You know how to to be a band in that era and, and release you know write songs and release those albums but uh yeah i just i just you know it, it seems like a mature approach from a band that would be considered a punk band which is saying quite a bit because with, with punk punk is punk it's it's not meant to be pristine it's not meant to be you know produced it's meant to be raw and edgy you know and this seems like a, a mature approach from um musicians that i would think were seasoned musicians and had a focus and this kind of leads yeah. that way but yeah yeah the, the musicianship definitely shows through like the, yeah. it's obvious that they really not you know they've been playing their instruments forever at this point and, and i, I, I think, know what they're doing yeah and i think too it's interesting because you see a lot of influences like there's a lot of blues turnarounds in, in the chorus like there's blues defending turnarounds and it's you don't hear that in a punk band <laughs> you know, right. you're not going to get that uh, so it seems like there was a definite, uh, you know, agenda and a direction, and uh, it's an interesting start to the record. I'm in. I, I dig it. Yeah, yeah, and also I think that the thing that draws me in is the simplicity of that opening riff. Yeah. You know, it's got space around it, and it's it's very simple and basic, and yet it works. You know, I mean, it all, again very ACDC influenced. Um, I I don't love the guitar tones. I I think that the fact that this guy was kind of a baby producer, there's nothing wrong with the production. I mean, it's all decently recorded, but I mean, if you compare these guitar tones to say what's on Appetite for Destruction, it's it's night and day. You know, it sounds anemic compared to that. Um, so I think that probably didn't help this album. No, the fact that you know it's a little pedestrian in terms of the tones. It can I just jump in for a second on that too? Because uh, I was thinking of you know the cult. Um, you got that transition period with the cult where they went from um, oh the album with, you know She's So Sanctuary and then you know Electric. Um, oh, it was Love and then Electric. Like this is almost like the blend of both those records where you have like the crunchy ACDC style guitar on Electric, but they have the chorusy kind of guitar that was on you know the Love record. And it's an interesting mix, yeah. but at the same time too, they kind of wear those sounds out. On this record, it's like you hear too much chorus guitar and you hear too much, you know, crunch. It's like it's a different approach and formula, but you know, it, it was a, of the period. So you know, what, what can you expect? But yeah, I agree that it's kind of a soft rock <laughs> or a soft type metal if there's such a thing, kind of tone in a way overall. Yeah, I, I, that's a good way to put it, actually. Um, you know, I, I I do think that the by the time we get to the third verse of the song and we end. Uh, he has the the remark about, you know, how does it feel, baby, to take your last breath and how do you like it with the kiss of death? You know, I mean, we're we're, we're sort of descending into, you know, the cliched sort of violent 
misogynistic imagery. I mean, you know, there there is kind of this tradition of using violent rhetoric uh, in, particularly in America, when it comes to breakup songs and whatnot. And you know, from Johnny Cash on down, who I also think was a big influence Ooh. on this band. Um, you know, both lyrically and and um, melodically and stuff too. So so you know i i don't love that about it but I, I i think overall it's a strong opener um you know i was just there's just a big article in the la times today about uh marilyn manson hmm. you know and 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 what a uh horrible misogynist yeah. <laughs> and terrible person he most likely is based upon the sworn testimony of all these various women and whatnot and uh you know that is sort of the the dark side of of rock and roll that is hinted at here because i don't you, they used to have these halloween award shows uh like years ago here in los angeles that were these big like outdoor uh, amphitheater events and I remember being at one and they used to have rock bands and Marilyn Manson was there mm. like um, as a co-host and giving somebody an award and the things that he was saying to like his female co-host were like so incredibly inappropriate and offensive that like everybody there was just like there is something deeply wrong with this guy <laughs> like you, you know what i mean yeah. like even within the purview of like oh yeah he's a rock star and he can get away with saying crazy stuff to women it was just like everybody in in the amphitheater was like what, what what's going on with this guy you know so there's a touch of that but moving on <laughs> uh road of gold uh this to me harkens back to something that might have been on their album revenge of course when i first heard this album i didn't realize revenge existed um but it has you know sort of a mysterious woman with tarot cards and i mean lyrically it's a lot of fun to sort of listen to it doesn't even necessarily make a lot of sense but it's fun to sort of you know what i mean um yeah it's it's fun to listen to and sort of try and put it together about what they're talking about uh i like the riff you know what i mean it 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 works. It's a good song. You know what I mean? It's actually one of my favorite on the album. Mike, what do you think? I, I love it too. And straight away from you know, the first track on, I when you hear the record, it keeps it holds your interest. Like you want to hear the next song. You want to hear this song. And overall, say just about the songwriter approach, they don't waste any time. You know, the, the, you know, the phrase, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus applies to this record because they get to the chorus quickly, they don't belabor the point. Um, they don't waste any time. These are all relatively, you know, three-minute songs. Um, but I, Oops. yeah, yeah sorry. Perfect, perfect example. It's got that sort of like James Bond intro, which is really cool. Um, it all, yeah, it's almost like a neo-noir kind of yeah. thing. There's almost some, um, some what's what's the word like Arabic influence on some of the scales they're playing yeah. on the guitar. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a scary little song. Yeah, and it's, it, it's dark. Um, again, I, it sounds like it would fit on Revenge, but it's still it's a good, good song. And in a lot of ways, too, reminds me of uh, Adam and the Ants, uh, Prince Charming era, and also Adam and uh, Strip era stuff. You know, where you've got these really cool blends where, like, the vocal and the, and the guitar parts weave in and out of each other. You know, which is you know not an easy thing to do. You know, it's usually like the guitar is back in the vocal, 
but somehow there'd be like a release or some other guitar statement that happens that sort of counters the vocal, which is cool to see in the song. Um, I thought the bridge was one of the most interesting parts of the song, but it goes by so fast you kind of you know miss it because it's a weird like you know great chord change and, and tempo change. Um, yeah, the bridges in general on this album are really creative and well thought out yeah, and artistic. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I like the song. I mean, it does have kind of a, a, a weird, dark, you know, neo-noir kind of thing to it. But then lyrically, there's also some sort of religious thing going on, you know, where if you ask her, if you tell her you want to race, she'll throw the Bible back in your face, you know, which is a little nonsense. Uh, I'd be hard pressed to 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 try to explain exactly what he means by that. Yeah. But, um but nonetheless, um, it, it has kind of a disturbed uh, vibe to it, that, you know, that's unsettling purposefully. Yeah. And I, and I, I like it. You know, I'm, I'm intrigued. Well, in a way, it reminded me of early Motley Crue in terms of their lyric approach. Uh, you know, mm. you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's not the kind of thing where it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it is unsettling. And it's, it, it, it makes you think, you know, and there's drama yeah. to it. So it, it's a cool lyric in a way. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving on to one of my favorite songs on the album. The name is Love. Yeah, just that opening riff with the, all that space in it. You know what I mean? And the way that it sort of echoes uh, is just great. It grabs you right away. Um, and then his the the guts behind the way that he's like singing, you know, uh, the chorus, you know, real intensely. I even, uh, you know, I'll get you like a vampire trance or whatever. That's even those lines are really cool. I love that kind of stuff. It's really kind of almost like a perfect song in terms of like a rock song. You know what I mean? Like it's got everything that it's supposed to have. Like it's not too cliche ridden, even though it's about love. You know what I mean? But it's still like, um, you know, kind of a nice take on it or a different view on it. And and again, that 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 riff just with all that. Um, you know, lots of space in it. And then when they modulate up in the in the uh, bridge or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh, it's pretty yeah, they go up a whole yeah. step to be. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, so I totally. Uh, I love that song. That's a great song. Mike. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm just impressed by the fact that I shouldn't say impressive. That, that sounds kind of negative. Um, I admire the fact that these songs seem really well arranged. You know, yeah. it's a really well arranged, you know, batch of tunes. Uh, I'm surprised that I, Dave, you mentioned there's a video for this song. I didn't even know that. You know, yeah. I mean, the fact you saw it at two in the morning, you know, on Friday weeknight is probably the only time you're going to see it. But um, again, I mentioned too that, you know, this is sort of like when you think of bands that were coming out around this era and sometimes after, um, there's so many things about this song. And this is meant to be a sincere compliment. Um, that intro reminds me of uh, the Cinderella, Cinderella track Hot and Bothered that came out like in 91 when they released like a great sync record, you know, which again is yeah. like an ACDC style, you know, style riff. Um, but also the chorus reminds me of Kiss in a way. It's mm -hmm. big, it's, you know, it's, it's catchy and um, it makes you want to sort of join in on it. But um, I guess the thing you might take away with you know this record overall, and particularly this song, is you know I'm surprised that this, this album didn't really have any traction uh, that it probably deserved at the time. You know, I guess that happens with tons of bands, but nonetheless, this is 
again, a well-arranged song and um, you, know, you can hear the influences, but at the same time, it sounds like that. Yeah, there's definitely an ACDC influence and, um, but the lyrics, I mean, are really kind of a clever uh, take on what love is and how it affects people and how they get wrapped up in it. And, you know, I, I like the fact that he's speaking from basically the persona of love, you know, which is like very much kind of like a Rolling Stones kind of thing to do. Mm as well right uh you know like assuming the character of the devil first person he's assuming <laughs> the character of love right i mean and yeah. it's just it's so well done um i yeah uh, to me it that song alone deserves so much more recognition um moving on to dreamer uh i did not like this song as much as the other ones i don't it's not a stinker you know what I mean? Like, I don't dislike it, but it uh, definitely. Um, it, it sounded like it was put into a songwriting machine. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It, it, it sounds sort of almost too well put together. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, it, I didn't dislike it, but it it. Um, I just, you know, it didn't it, it doesn't really stick with me. It's one that I will skip a lot of times. You know what I mean? Mike, what do you think? Okay. I mean, there are things that, that I like about it. There are also things about it that remind me, again, of other bands. And I mean that, again, in the most sincere and you know, appreciative way. Um, at first, I thought this is sort of the obligatory, you know, ballad happens through the first side of the LP and, you know, it's catching and blah, blah, blah. But uh, when I think of other bands uh, that sound like, you know, these guys, this is the band that put out a record, I think, in 91. Uh, there's a band called War Babies uh, that Paul Stanley produced. Mm. And, the vocal approach to War Babies seems similar to this this song, and also the chord changes seem similar. I mean, I'm not saying that you know anybody was influenced or took anything from either band, but either way, just in terms of the vocal and production, it reminds me of that band. Um, okay, also, it's a little yeah, bit generic, yeah. Yeah, a little bit, but you know, it starts off generic, and you think it's going to be generic, but then it goes in in more of a cool way because then all of a sudden you hear like these oohs and ahs, and you hear like the uh, the female background vocals. It's a really cool approach. It's, it's a different dimension. Um, and also, you know, again, you know, bands that came out, you know, years later, I've been listening recently to a band that I put out a CD and I want to say like about 10 years ago, it's a band called Leroy Justice. Uh, they okay. had a song called Belt Buckle and it has like the same kind of, you know, female vocal background, you know, lead vocal approach, same kind of melody in a way. And this is like years after this album came out, you know, so you know, you, you make the connection yourself. But again, I think this is one of those albums that it, it's so concise in terms of if you want to know, you know what all these other bands that we've listened to over the years can sound like or can play like, you know, just listen to this record and you'll get that in, in a one-two punch. It's, it's really a cool back to tunes. Um, the last thing I'll say with this song is, and I'll get to the point, um, I think the guitar solo is very like late era Jimmy Page Zeppelin. You know, where they were like mm. you know, in through the outdoor, and where it's, you know, the tone was kind of getting thinner and chorusy, but, but cool at the same time and reverby. Um, yeah, but again, just at, at first I thought it would be like, you know, the, you know, this sort of expected, you know, ballad, but then it goes somewhere and takes somewhere else. And also, too, again, I'm reminded too of the fact that there's such a great vocal range. You got that low end, you know, octave thing, you got that high end, you know, growl. That, that, that's a big range to cover for a vocalist. And that to me is, is very impressive. 
Yeah. I mean, I actually like this song, I think, maybe more than you do, John, because I think uh, it tackles an interesting subject matter that you don't hear a lot, which is that when you're in your early 20s and you're trying to figure out life, you know, you, you're kind of stuck between this dichotomy sometimes, particularly if you were raised in a religious background where, you know, you're expected to take things on faith uh, in terms of your religion and, and what the good book says. And then at the same time, you know, as an American, you're you're told that, uh, you know, to lose all pretension and and, you know, only believe what you can see with your own eyes and, you know, don't believe anything that anybody tells you unless you can prove it for yourself. And and so, you know, trying to figure out life and losing your faith in in your religion that you were brought up with at precisely the same time that uh, your dreams are probably, you know, as momentous as they're ever going to be in your life because you're young enough that anything is still possible. You know, that's kind of a poignant time in a young man's life. And I think that, that this song actually does a pretty good job of capturing what that feels like. So, I agree. Uh, I agree. The uh, first cover, first and only cover on this album, Good Morning Blues, which was originally done by uh, Lead Belt. Lead belly. Um, I read somewhere that TSO, some of the guys in TSOL eventually went on to do like a blues cover album or whatever, um, and mm. sort of became a blues cover band, um, which I think is sort of kind of fascinating with the whole, you know, they start as a punk band and they wind up playing the blues or whatever. Um, but I, I don't like this song i think there's a couple of moments where he like when he first starts with the good morning blues you know what i mean i'm like yeah that that, that kicks but the rest of the song i it's 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 growing up in pittsburgh and hearing all these white guys covering blues and you know jazzing it up and that kind of stuff that i, I tend to just automatically um avoid that kind of stuff um but you know the the congas are good and the saxophone. I mean, but it's it's definitely a departure in the album. You know what I mean? It's a total like um, standalone. But at the same time, that again speaks to their ability to sort of metamorphosize, you know, um, their sound. And I'm I'm starting to come to this idea of like there's sort of a very big level of maturity in TSOL that was lacking from other bands that, that were coming out at the same time, like the cult and, you know, they, they, TSOL had sort of almost this like journeyman quality to them. Um, well, their whole mission statement, hmm. right. Was that we want to be, have complete and total artistic freedom, yeah. right? So yeah. these are the true sounds of Liberty. We can play music however we want, whatever we want. And, you know, unfortunately the, the punk ethos, I think, is sometimes kind of like uh, like Texas, where they go, <laughs> we believe in total freedom right up until the point you do something that we don't like, you know? Right, yeah. Well, you know, that reminds me too, I think I was I was uh, at a party one time in Oakland, and I don't know if you were there, Dave, or with some other friends, uh, but I think I had a, a Kiss, uh, it was a Kiss looking up tour shirt on. Or yeah. it was, it was, it was like it up, and like you know, it was a bunch of like punk rockers, you know, a couple blocks away from the decade in Pittsburgh, and it was late. Yeah. And I had a kiss t shirt on, and all these punk rockers, like, 
oh yeah man you know, i used to be in there kids aren't we you know it wasn't meant to be like a positive thing it's like okay i i right. think i need to hightail it out of here pretty soon because i got the wrong t-shirt on you know <laughs> so, yeah and i think i i think i no as a matter of fact you weren't there but uh another friend was there and he said oh by the way you can stay until two o'clock because the last 61b bus will come at you know two o'clock well there wasn't a 61B bus that came, and I walked all the way home from <laughs> Oakland to Swissvale. It took me two hours to walk home. Oh man! Yeah, it was a long night. And those are th those are through some sketchy neighborhoods. Yeah. So you know, uh, anyhow, point being, um, yeah, it's interesting too because this band, uh, I mean, you would never think of a punk band playing blues to this level of quality though. Yeah. You know what I mean? And again, like you know, it's it 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 doesn't seem like there's kind of it, it doesn't seem like it's a put on. It seems like that something is in these guys that they knew damn well that they could do this, and they executed it well, in my opinion. And it's actually quite different from the original. Mm -hmm. I mean, the horn arrangement and the saxophone is interesting. I would assume the producer probably had something to do with that, but. Um, but even lyrically, it's a lot different than the original. The original sort of hints at treating the blues as kind of a personification that you're addressing, mm. but it doesn't, but they kind of take that and they distill it to my favorite moment of the song where it's like, he's addressing the blues as a person, you know, and it says, good morning blues. You know, how are you? Well, I'm doing all right. You know, how about you? You know, and I think I love that. I mean, to me that that's what makes the song work. I, I agree because it's almost like a, a personal sort of you know conversation with yourself in a way. I mean, it reminds me of uh, this Jimi Hendrix track called uh, "Belly Button uh, Window." I mean, it's almost like a song you know from the womb in a way. <laughs> and the first thing he says is, "Hey, pass me that bottle. I'll sing you a real song." You know, <laughs> 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 you know it, it, it's it's a it's a mature bluesy you know point of view for a band that you know. It, it, again, it doesn't seem like a put on from these guys, and I think there's a lot of great licks in this song. And also, I've listened to a lot of uh, Shuggy Otis recently. You know, there's a, a couple of great tracks from Shuggy where he talks about just like growing up and playing you know, music with his family and playing some CD joints, and he'll go through, hey, we, we, we want to lick some, you know, Elmore James, and he'll do an Elmore James lick. And, you know, you kind of, this kind of is like a, a, a tip of the hat to that type of era music, you know, which again is not punk rock. It is so anti punk rock. But it comes across to me in a convincing way. I dig it. I, I buy it. Yeah. Next track, Hit and Run. I love this song. I mean, you know, yeah. I, that the, the chorus with the, you know, uh, is is great and catchy. The um, that riff, the da -na 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 -na, you know what I mean, that kind of stuff. And the, um, um, I mean, again, it's a little cliche. You know what I mean? Like if you don't. If you don't like it, don't hang around. You know, it's kind of a little little cliche, but it's definitely like um, it definitely gets to the sort of who they are or whatever. Um, and it's just a strong it's a good, strong rocker. You know what I mean? There's nothing I, I could say, you know, uh, bad against it in terms of its ability to like, you know, it's a good pick me up or whatever to wake yourself up. So, Mike, your opinion? Yeah, there's definitely energy to it. Um, you know, the idea of, you know, I'm hitting run, I might die today. That's, you know, that's rock and roll. Yeah, that's a know? great rock and roll sentiment that, you know, we should be reminded of every day. Yeah. Because we and might all, die today. We might. Yeah, hopefully not. But uh, 
But at the same time, too, um, we're all Pittsburgh guys. Um, I've mentioned this song before in previous podcasts. Uh, the riff reminds me of uh, Norman Ardini, uh, a song called Keeber. It's almost like the okay. MC5, you know, kick out the jams kind of riff. You know, it's a great riff. It's a great energy to it. Um, yeah, it's, to me, it reminds me of something like maybe the Cynics would have done. Yeah. Or, you know, there's kind of an ACDC-ish quality to it, too. But, um, And the thing that, yeah, it's funny, that line... We might die today. My favorite part of this song is like, and it, it's so simple, but it's so brilliant. Then he goes, you know, he throws it out there. You know, I'm hit and run all the way. I'm hit and run. We might die today. And then he says, okay, as if he's contemplating <laughs> that sentiment for the first time. And then he simply says, okay, you know, and like, like he's embracing it. Like he's thought about it for a second and he goes like, well, given that, then I should be living my life hit and run. Right. I mean, and that is such a, like the fact that he's embracing that life's uncertainty like that is just so brilliant. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. It, in the moment. That's great. Yeah. But it can also mention too that um, you know, David was uh, the record I'm about to mention is one of your favorites. The production on this record, particularly this song, uh, reminds me of uh, Hanoi Rock's uh, two steps remove production style. Okay. You know what I mean? With like you know the guitar weaving and uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I've kind of heard that. It, it, again, I tried to think of what, what these albums remind me of, and that album uh, came to mind. And that was Bob Ezrin who produced yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, great album. Two steps in the great album. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, I asked him, I did an interview with him, and I asked him uh, what his memories of that album were. And he said, you know, some bands need a producer to help them write and record a great album. Other bands just need a babysitter. Yeah. He goes, that was more of a babysitter kind of situation. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, moving on. Not alone anymore. Um, I like the chorus on that. Um, you know the sort of, but it 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 sounds a little Bon Jovi esque to me, like a poor man's Bon Jovi. Um, I mean, the thing that saves it for me is again his vocal style, and um, that guitar sound. There's really not, you know, um, there's nothing in that song that grabbed me that I haven't heard in a million other songs, you know what I mean? But the way that it's put together, uh, like I said, with the guitar and the voice, I, I still like it. And that nice sing-along chorus, um, you know, is really, uh, really makes it stand out as not just a kind of throwaway song. So I, I, I like it. Mike, your opinion? Yeah, I agree that the course is really catchy. Um, I, for some reason, I would think this song would have been on the uh, the soundtrack to the movie Less Than Zero in a way. It sounds, you know, of that era. Um, and I mean that in the best way. It would definitely work for that soundtrack. But also, I was I listened to the intro and I thought, what does that remind me of? Um, I'm not sure which song came out first, either this or the song I'm going to mention, but it reminds me of the Eddie Money song, Take Me Home Tonight. Mm. You know, that sort of, you know, four chord, uh, chord change, um, you know, granted on, on this song, it, it's a guitar riff, but on the Eddie Money song, it's a, a keyboard riff, but it's essentially the same chord structure. And these songs both came out, I think, in 1987, which one, you know, was in advance of the other, I don't know at this point, but, um, you know, takeaway is it, definitely, John, the, the chorus is catchy. Um, 
And, yeah, it's and a again, great course. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And again, you know, speaking of haha ha chorus, again, you hear that of the era, you know, chorus, you get to, you know, guitar sound throughout the record. And there's another example of that on this song. Yeah, I, you know, I like this song. I, I, the only thing, it, it does seem a little trivial that, that, you know, he's, he's not alone anymore because he's now in this relationship with this woman that has saved him or whatever. Mm. I mean, uh, but, but I do, I do like the, I think there's something really poignant about the way that he's describing himself when he felt young and lost and, mm. and powerless and was trying to figure life out. I mean, there's a, there's a kind of heart on the sleeve sincerity in, in this song that like, you know, and a kind of raw honesty that I, I think really sells it for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, throughout the record, it doesn't seem like it's, even though it might be, you know, a change in direction for this band, especially in the eyes of people that knew this band before this record, but there isn't a whole lot on this record that doesn't seem either you meant to be or sincere, you know, much like a Motley Crue record in a way, you know, like they're, they're really trying to, they're well thought out lyrics, uh, they're well arranged songs, and you, you can't, you know, you can't take that away from, from this band. Right. This record, so. so 16. I love that song. That's, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, obviously the chorus sounds, sounds so much like 18 by uh, Alice Cooper, but the story behind it, everything, uh, you know, you know, the fact that it's, you know, I guess a 16 year old who's going to uh, kill somebody and goes, is going to wind up being killed for it. Um, it's, it's got a nice intensity to it. I mean, just that line, you know, uh, Daddy sold the farm to buy a bottle. Um, yeah, that kind of you know that kind of storytelling, um, which is even again a little cliched, but still like totally, totally that song just totally rocks. Like I, I totally you know I feel for that kid that's about to be that's about to die. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just it's a very it's a, it's an intense song and it's it's well written and it's well put together. And again, it doesn't fit. Um, it's almost like a separate song from the rest of the album. Like they keep trying to do each song is like an attempt to do something different. You know what I mean? Which I like yeah. a lot of bands won't do that. And they'll wind up with kind of, um, you know, uh, crap, you know what I mean? Or they'll be playing the same song over and over again. This one seems each song they're attempting something, even if I don't like it, you know, or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a great, it's a great song. Mike, your opinion. Yeah, at first I thought, oh, this is, you know, I'm 18, but it, you know, it sounds like the Alice Cooper song, sure. But, um, you know, I think the, the cool thing about this song is also, again, from the albums that came out around the same time, um, you've got that sort of Bo Diddley you know, drumbeat in the bridge, which reminds me of uh, Guns N' Roses' uh, Welcome to the Jungle. It's, mm. You know, again, same kind of, you know, approach to like a breakdown of a song. Um, again, the, the bridges, we mentioned this before in this record, the bridges are some of the most interesting parts of the songs in this record. Uh, but they, they kind of go by, they go by so fast, you know, that you can, don't really have a, a chance to appreciate them for what they are. Mm -hmm. you know, because there's so many great chord changes. But I think, you know, John, you mentioned some of the lyrics um, in the verses. I think some of the underappreciated things, um, particularly in this song, are the fact that you get beyond the fact that you know, it sounds like, you know, I'm 18 for Alice Cooper, like the interesting things are in the verse. 
you know, that's that's where you know mm -hmm. the, uh, the best parts of the store are. Yeah, I mean, kind of in contradiction to what we were saying before, this is the first song that where he's kind of assuming a character, and and you get the impression this is not. Mm autobiographical necessarily i assume that he didn't actually kill a man and obviously he wasn't you know he, he wasn't killed get, for it, uh, so. killed at, at, at the age of 16 but you know given that there's a lot of really interesting lyrical takes on it i love the uh you know i was street king uh line um i love the you know i am the chosen one the dark side's only right. son for me there won't be any more tomorrow um you know mm -hmm. that's uh, that's as good as 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 it gets when it comes to writing this kind of song be it gallows pole or mm -hmm. you know bohemian rhapsody there is sort of yeah. this tradition about writing uh songs while waiting on death row for a crime that you you know may or may not have committed um yeah so, you know, I, I dig it. Um, it's a little, I mean, the fact that, you know, he, he's talking about how old he was in this song and also the previous song. Um, you know, I don't know if track wise, these songs needed to be next to each other. Mm, yeah. You know, I might've, I think that that doesn't help, but um, nonetheless, I like the song. Stay with me. That one I did I don't really like that song. It's kind of generic. I mean, it's it's still good, but it just I don't know. I I, I don't have anything to really say about it. Um, so you know what I mean. I just kind of moved on from it. Mike, what do you think? There's probably something I'm missing. Yeah, I you know I think you know this is where the album sort of starts to lose focus in a way. Um, I think this seems to be the most pieced together song on, on the record you can have a lot of great chord changes and does that make for a good song you know debatable i don't you know again the bridge is cool you know the, the, the strati stratocaster type tones are cool and they don't really meander much but at the same time too is it really that strong of a song no i just there wasn't much that i could really you know take from it. there would there, I think there's so many other great songs in this record um, that would you know, negate you know, the inclusion of this song on the record, in my opinion. Okay, I think I like the song more than you can. Okay, see. wow, okay, um, good. You know, I just, I, I think there's this thing in LA where, you know, sometimes you, you date somebody and, and uh, it's short lived and you're, you kind of get the impression that they're waiting to trade up. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think it kind of captures that spirit where, you know, those lyrics are kind of interesting and self-depreciating in a way where he talks about, you know, uh, she, but she failed to see you know, that in me, she failed to see all the loving I'd bring. She failed to see a lot of things in me, you know, and, mm. you know, I, I, I think it's clever. I think the chorus is actually really catchy, too. Um, so, you know, I like it. I, I'm not saying it's as good as the best songs on this record, for sure. But um, I don't I don't think it it doesn't belong on the record. Um, yeah, exactly. Where did where did I go wrong? Uh, again, this isn't, I don't, you know, um, <clears throat> this is where the album, you know, this is, this is your worst song on your album is, is the ones right before the closer. <laughs> and this one, um, I didn't really like it. Like it, it might actually be good, but I'm sorry, because they close with, um, you can try or whatever, mm -hmm. which is 
to me one of the greatest songs on the album um it just doesn't stand out to me you know what i mean and maybe again like i said maybe i'm missing something but it just doesn't it sounds a little generic to me so dave dave tell me i'm wrong because you're going to tell me that this is like well mike what do you, what do you think well i will jump in and say that um you know, throughout this the discussion i've mentioned other bands that, that were around the time that you know wrote songs that either sounded similar or you know had similar chord changes um on the uh user illusion records there was a song called yesterday there's very you know stratty hendrix type you know seventh chord kind of guitar playing going on there um which again is very un-punk rock <laughs> punk rock is you know one four five you know bar chord kind of stuff um this is there's very mature guitar playing uh, going on on this tune um, and I found it interesting because um, some of the things that, that you hear Guns N' Roses do later, you hear on this record, you know, and there's a little mm -hmm. album that comes out to like three or four years later. So, you know, you go from like a clean, you know, chorusy kind of guitar song to a heavy distorted guitar. You got the female background vocals, um, you know. Also, too, I think um, there's mention of lines like um, "Always on the Run." You know, which was a key line in um, Lenny Kravitz tune, and Lenny was a Southern California guy as well. So, you know, it seems like, you know, one way or another, these influences, the community kind of musical community kind of, you know, influences each other, and these things come out later. Um, but I think it's, in a way, maybe in, in contrast to what John was saying, it's a great segue into the acoustic song that follows, you know, this song on the record, because it's almost like a, you know, a calm down kind of. You know, stray kind of you know, guitar tone that goes into a, a you know, what we call it a ballad or an acoustic type uh, closer on the record. I, I find it interesting on, on a couple of levels in that regard. Yeah, I, I like the song. I mean, to me, I think of these last two songs sort of as a piece together. Mm -hmm. This yes. album comes in like a lion, goes out like a lamb. Mm -hmm. um, these last two songs to me are the most stonesy mm -hmm. uh, out of out of the whole record and uh you know the, the idea um that you know somebody's kind of like in, in a midlife crisis of of mm -hmm. working to make their dreams come true and then feeling like they're always you know fighting the good fight and they're on the run and from constantly hustling and being burnt out and you know wondering like you know how how their life has gotten to this point and whether or not it's worth continuing on that way uh yeah. living like a refugee as as tom petty put yeah. it you know uh like i i can relate to that as a as a creative person and and so you know this again the song speaks to me I, it works for me um then uh the final song on the record you can try yeah that's one of my favorite songs on it uh it's got a great chorus to it sort of a great feel to it I guess it's written about one of their brothers who died from heroin or whatever. Um, yes. But that's such a great sentiment because, you know, um, you know, it, it almost, at first it sounds sort of like you can't always get what you want. You know what I mean? I feel like it's mm -hmm. going that yes. way, but then it goes into that, you know, you can try to help someone and you just might waste your time. I mean, that's a dark lyric, not a rock and roll party kind of vibe you know what i mean and and it's a great yeah line. you can't like, help someone who's not willing to help, help themselves. themselves you, you can, can try, try but you just might lose your mind you just might waste your time right yeah i i really like those uh those lyrics again i guess that's probably that's the song that speaks to me uh the most um in there because 
well, you know, I, I'm a teacher. I do it every day. People just don't care. <laughs> so, I mean, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think uh, that those lyrics really spoke to me. So even, so I, I love the song. I think it's great. Mike. Uh, yeah, I mentioned before that, you know, maybe this, this band might have been influenced on bands that were coming out at the time or, you know, released albums after the fact. Um, I think this is sort of in an opposite direction. Uh, you can hear the influences in a cool way. It reminds me of uh, Pink Floyd with that, you know, suspended, you know, chord changes. Um, I also like the fact that, too, you know, they, they the, the first chorus is kind of, you know, stripped down, you know, lead vocal. But then when they get to the end, when they do like, you know, the, the, the chorus is more like a gang vocal. And for some reason, it reminds me of Alex Cooper. I can't quite figure out why, but it's a cool way mm. to build a song. Um, yeah, would, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? It, 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 the song kind of grows and swells in that way. And I think that's a cool thing. Yeah, but I mean, there's also, you know, again, you know, songs of the era, you know, uh, the Guns Rose song Patience. You know, that solo on, on the Guns tune reminds me of this song in a way. You know, so, mm. you know, who's, who's learned from who here? Yeah, there's a lot to. I'm really going to enjoy you know digging in this record more so after the conversation because I there was even though I probably just skimmed the surface on, on music stuff uh, I'm really going to be digging this record from here on out so thank you so much for the opportunity to check this thing out I really appreciate it yeah um I mean speaking myself personally like I've known I mean way too many people uh that I've lost mm. from heroin you know over the years i mean obviously one would be too many but unfortunately yeah. i've known several over the years and uh and so yeah again i can i can relate to to this um the sentiment that it, at a certain point it's sort of futile um you know that they've gone down a path and if they keep making those choices there's only one way that it ends and you know that's not a good not a good way so um but overall thoughts about this album it's a sub the listening to it again now past being when we listened to it i guess when i was 16 or whatever um you i do get a vibe in there about what great musicians they are uh in terms of like they're sort of uh how you know how tight they are i guess they they're essentially a band that's been playing together for a while although i guess two of the members had only been there for about 3 years um it does have i mean it's it's funny because when i was when i was in college um i i had i had that album in my you know some kid who was you know the the king of the punk rockers was going through my collection and he was and he pulls that out and he was like you actually bought this album? And I was like, yeah, he's like, this is bullshit. Look at their hair. You know what I mean? And yeah, it's, and it's funny because I'm like, no, nah, it's a pretty rocking album. You know what I mean? I was like, that's, that's actually pretty decent. Um, and I remember like sort of defending the album to him. You know what I mean? Um, right. But, and then, and I, and I was like, and, and then I was like, my favorite album is actually revenge, but I, I do like that album a lot. Um, so it's it's a band that seems like it's selling out to grab the golden goose like i know at one point they actually 
they had the, their only original member at one point was just the bass player. And they at, like, I think it was even after this or whatever. And they paid him something, some obscene amount of money to, um, to quit. You know what I mean? To get out of the band because they, they thought that they wanted to go into this full new direction that the bass player was supposedly holding them back from or something. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but there, at there's one point there were actually two bands. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's, two TSOL. there's even a documentary like on Netflix for a while about TSOL and they didn't hmm. cover anything past uh, the original <laughs> singer. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so he's like, and then, you know, he says things like, you know, yeah, this band's made some mistakes in the past, you know, and that kind of stuff. And you're like, you know, not, you know, you put out a decent <laughs> album. It's, you know, yeah, it to everybody else, it looks like bullshit. You know what I mean? But, you know, if you actually take the time to listen to it, you realize that you put out a really decent album. So I, I don't know. Well, as, as Paul Stanley said, unfortunately, people hear with their eyes you yeah. know, and they look at the cover and they and they see the long hair and they feel that that's somehow a betrayal. You know, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's it's a strong album that stands on its own. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think TSOL, all their albums are sort of like that. They change their sound with every album. You know what I mean? I mean, they have like their first album is straight ahead, you know, like, you know, Southern California hardcore. And then they sort of switch it up into sort of a goth vibe. And then they're like, you know, by revenge, they're just straight up alternative. You know what I mean? And then this one is, is rock, you know, just straight ahead rock. And it's not even, it's not glam rock at all. You know what I mean? It doesn't have the squealy, um, you know, um, you know, the squealy vocals or the, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the sexy bravado, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff that necessarily, I mean, these guys seem like they were, you know, when everybody else in the 80s was in their 20s, they seem like they're in their 40s. You know what I mean? Which yeah, can conceivably be true, you know, because, I mean, they started out in the early 70s. So I don't know. Late 70s. Yeah, yeah it's just interesting. So it's it's an album, all of their albums. TSOL is an underappreciated band. I wish I, I wish there was a book out there that could explain something to me, because every time I try and read the history of TSOL, I always get completely confused. You know what I mean? I'm like, who is, you know? Yeah. If you look at a timeline of who's been in the band yeah. and when and, and stuff, it's, it's, it's very complex. Right. Well, they have, like you said, I mean, the, the TSOL that came from this album doesn't have a single original member in it, but then there is like a, uh, a new TSOL that is supposedly has all the old members or something. You know what I mean? It's it's a mess. Yeah. So it's kind of fascinating. It's it's a it's a mirror on great songwriting and the music bits. You know what I mean? Like how that stuff gets decided and what's chosen. All right, I'll shut up. Carry on, <laughs> Mike. Uh, I, I'm intrigued. Let me. I'm inspired because um, this album sounds like a a debut release from the band in a way. And I'm saying this without knowing what the rest of their catalog sounds like. But it sounds like a band that had it together, almost like a you know a band like Guns with you know Appetite for Destruction or a Motley with uh, Two Fast for Love. It seems like a starting point for something that was you know was new to them, but was also genuine to what they were doing in terms of songwriting. Um, but I'll be curious now to sort of go back in terms of the timeline with the previous release and see you know, what led to this. Uh, I'm not that familiar, but I'm looking forward to the, the journey of checking that out. 
but I, I dug it, you know, from, from beginning to end. It, it, every song, you know, kept my interest, you know, to see what was coming next. And, you know, that's the ultimate selling point of a record. You know, if you're going to want to skip ahead or, you know, say delete or next, or, you know, I'm done with this record, you know, you're buying the wrong record. But in this case, you know, you can't go wrong in a, in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, I think what's interesting about this album is as much as the, the punks may want to say, oh, they, they were trying to sell out, we've all agreed that the strongest tracks on it are the ones that are most traditionally in the hard rock vein. Mm -hmm. The name is love hit and run. I mean, you know, those are our favorite songs. So, you know, they were trying to write in a genre that maybe they hadn't done before, but they did it so well um, that it was just as well as a lot of other bands that, you know, were their contemporaries that had a lot more success. I mean, I'm trying to think partially about why this album wasn't successful. Um, you know, I would say that the lead work on this album is a little pedestrian compared to, you know, lead work of say a slash or even a Mick Mars where, you know, it, it, it just, you know, exactly who's playing and, you know, but the songwriting Mm -hmm. is top notch and the rhythm playing is top notch. And, yeah. and so, you know, like if you look at this album just in terms of the songwriting and the lyrics and whatnot, I think uh, you will not regret giving it a chance and it might actually become one of your uh, favorite rock albums. So, John, what album are we going to be listening to next week? Uh, we're going to do Please to Meet Me by uh, The Replacements. All right. Maybe not their best album, but... It was the jumping off point for me. Cool. All right. Well, I look forward to talking to you guys next week. (laughs) 